The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Welcome to two hours of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Good morning, food lovers. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen, and the delicious dialogue starts here and now. I welcome you to my kitchen along with Lana this morning. Good morning, Lana. Good morning. Recipes and tips for marvelous meals will be shared this hour and next. You will gain ideas on how to eat well and live well. This show is for people who love to eat. And each week, I'll tell you about my favorite wines, recipes, authors, foods, restaurants, and gadgets for your kitchen. And we hope that you'll check out chefjamie.com to become a more confident cook. Let me tell you what is on your plate this morning. Coming up in just a bit, you'll hear from Chef Yvonne Getz of The Wine restaurant highlighting what he loves most about spring and holiday dishes. Also, we're going to dish with Robert Barlow of Cisco Technology on the state of food in 2016. Really interesting conversation when it comes to food and technology, so don't miss it coming up at 8.30. The Lodge Cast Iron Cookbook has released from cornbread to casseroles everything you love about cookware that will outlast you. And coming up next hour as well, Chef Vic Casanova of Kalina Restaurant at the Four Seasons Los Angeles with his seasonal favorites and the ultimate spring salad. Mark your calendar because you're invited. We are very excited to share that our next live broadcast date has been planned for Sunday, May 6th from Bristol Farms in Manhattan Beach along with the Melissa's Produce Crew. We hope you'll come out and taste, learn, and have fun with us. It's a live broadcast happening at Bristol Farms in Manhattan Beach on Sunday, May 6th. And we're going to be grilling it up. We're going to be tasting of the best seasonal produce. And we're having a party. So you should come out and join us. have a good time. Can't wait. We have a food food photo contest going on as well. We'd love you to share your travel food photos. The top three finalists will be announced at our live broadcast. And they'll all take home a $50 Bristol Farms gift card. Check it out at chefjamie.com. And last week, in fact, you should check this out. Caught up with a chef friend. Take a listen. Chef Yvonne Getz is the executive chef and partner at the winery, restaurant, and wine bar located in the district of Tustin. He is an internationally renowned chef who's worked with Relay and Chateau Hotels, Michelin-starred restaurants, and his award-winning restaurant, The Winery, is one of Orange County's premier restaurants. Here in Southern California, we are proud to call him our friend and to dine at his delicious restaurant. It's a pleasure to have you on the radio again. Good morning, Chef. Good morning, Jamie. How are we doing? Alana and I are doing well, thank you. We were earlier this morning as we got into studio talking about your delicious dishes. I had a flatbread recently sitting in your bar and a glass of wine. It has the most beautiful ambiance, your restaurant. We love the feel of it. Well, first of all, that flatbread is my favorite thing in the world. It's like Alsatian... Alsatian pizza, which we normally call top flambe, and, and it's like, you know, it's the, that, that would be like the last meal I would have. I, I'm not Alsatian, and that would be the last meal that I would have. <laughs> I mean, how can you go wrong with some creme fraiche, onions, bacon, and cheese, you know? Ooh, perfect. And all caramelized and beautiful over that crisp flatbread crust, and you have that multitude of textures. It really is just heaven. Congratulations to you, by the way. The winery, restaurant, and wine bar 
was just named, you and your partners, Restaurateurs of the Year by Southern California Restaurant Writers Association. That's quite an honor. Yeah, that was very nice. We actually found that out on Monday at the awards banquet, and uh, it's a nice honor, and, and, you know, we work hard for it, and it's nice to be in the top, and we we try very hard. And then actually last year they uh, gave my partner, uh, William, the sommelier of the year, which was very nice, Mm. too. I mean, we have a huge, you know, as you, as you know, we have a huge wine cellar that takes at least 6,000, 7,000 bottles of wine. So, you know, you need somebody somebody good and trusty to, to run the show there. Yes, and you are a, a very strong trio. When it comes to wine and food pairings as we break into spring, let's talk about the influence of wine in your cuisine. You describe your style as wine country cuisine, right? Yes, I do, because, I mean, we do, obviously, a lot with the wines, but uh, cooking with the wines is, like, I love it, and, and every time, you know, we still do the traditional stocks there, and, I mean, we do all, you know, all the stocks, from fish stock to the veal stock to, and we always use from Cabernet to Zinfandel to Gewürztraminer to, I mean, right now we have as well a fondue on the menu, which we use Sauvignon Blanc as well. So there's a lot of wine involved in my cooking, and I, I just love it. I couldn't do without it. I couldn't do without a nice glass of wine <laughs> at night either. Give us a tutorial, though, because there's something different to be said for the fact that food and wine pairings are far looser today than they've ever been. And I've always been one to say, drink what you like. Salmon and Pinot Noir is a beautiful compliment if you've grilled the salmon or created a, a beautiful, rich sauce. But no matter what you're eating, you can find a wine that somehow pairs with meal. You take it the next to the next step, and you incorporate wine into your dishes, into your sauces, into your what you call essences. So give us a tutorial. Well, it, it's like, you know, I like, to, I like to put in there because me and, and William, my partner, the sommelier, I mean, we do tons of wine pairing. And, I mean, it gives a big different twist to your dish. And, I mean, you can do... You can do a vinaigrette and have a little reduction of, you know, Gewürztraminer essence. You can have regular beurre blanc and you can, you know, do like, you know, a reduction of Gewürztraminer or Chardonnay or drier wine. Or, uh, I mean, all the, like, Zinfandel braised shore ribs that I do. Mm. These things braised for, you know, five hours in Zinfandel wine. I mean, it gets rich, it gets into the meat. And then, you know, it gives a, a good thing for, for William to pair with wines. And then I love fish as well, like the, the famous halibut that we have. I mean, that's very, very popular halibut. And we just, you know, cook it with clams and a little bit of fish stock and then the white wine. And it just gives that richness and flavor and fresh. And, and I just love it. It's like, you know, coming from Alsace, I just, you know, cooking with wine all the time. Yes, your Alsatian roots definitely give you that. We are very delighted to be able to share with our audience the recipe for the famous halibut you just mentioned. And by the way, if you would like recipes heard on this show, we're always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. In addition, you can email us this morning or anytime at live, L-I-V-E, at chefjamie.com. Chef Yvonne Getz of the Winery Restaurant in Tustin at the District, Orange County, pan-seared local halibut and manila clams, roasted fingerling potatoes, fava beans, asparagus, and microgreens. Bring it on. Oh, I am hungry. Doesn't that sound delicious? It, it does. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to eat because it's, it's light and super flavorful, especially coming up with spring. It, it just, you know, you have all these baby veggies and it's just delicious. It is, and it incorporates champagne or white wine. And I want to go back to the tutorial. When you're cooking with wine, which is a wonderful way to 
really encourage great wine pairings, you've mentioned a couple of times a reduction, a reduction of the wine itself. That's a way to compound the flavors. You can always reduce in the pan or you can reduce in a sauce pot prior, right, Chef? Absolutely. I mean, you just want to concentrate those flavors because the wine by itself, sometimes you have a really good wine. You can just finish the sauce real quick without actually burning it to, to get that rich flavor. Like, you know, I do, uh, I do a lot of game at the winery, you know, like the from, you know, buffalo, ostrich, kangaroo, elk, venison, squab. And, and every time I finish the sauce real quick, like with, you know, with a, a, a heavy, a big wine, you know, like a Zinfandel or a big Cabernet, just to give that little wine flavor that just goes great with it. And then you have to Montalbur in the French style to mount with butter. That's always that beautiful, rich finesse that finishes a wine sauce that I love too. And I noticed that you do mount the sauce for the local halibut with a little bit of butter at the end. Well, everything is always better with butter. You oh, know? I agree. <laughs> Definitely. So better with butter always. or <laughs> bacon. I mean, if it's not going to be bacon, foie gras, or butter. <laughs> <laughs> then why eat it, right? No, exactly. Chef, I mean, everything in moderation. Yes, and, and I agree with you. Um, one of the things on the healthier spectrum of those things you love, too, I know, is celery root. And that's in, in your list of foie gras, bacon, butter. Give us um, some insight as to how we can incorporate celery root into our dishes. It's the root vegetable that I love too, raw or cooked. Yes, I mean, we, you know, back home uh, in Alsace, we use it a lot, just in like even as an appetizer, as a salad, you know, and just mix it up with a little vinegar, just a touch of, of either creme fraiche or mayonnaise. Uh, but otherwise, you can do it like just like a mashed potato and do half and half use half celery root, half mashed potato, half potatoes, and just do it that way, or just do like even just a coulis or sauce. You can just caramelize it. You can just dice it up like you would roast a potato, and the flavor is just so intense and beautiful. It's just, it's amazing. I mean, I love all root vegetables being, you know, being from Alsace, everything that carrots, celery, and then, you know, I mean, cabbage is not, but obviously we use a lot of cabbage, but I, I love this stuff. I happen to love it, too, and I think it's one of those vegetables that gets a really bad rap. You know, it looks similar in shape and size to a rutabaga. It's sort of rough and dirty and ugly on the outside. But on the inside, when you peel with a sharp knife a celery, a piece of celery root, the actual bulb, yeah. you get this beautiful ivory-colored, very solid flesh. And like Chef mentioned, I like it raw as well, like a coleslaw, in fact. It's a gorgeous complement to fish. It's beautiful with smoked salmon in particular. So maybe you were putting out a, um, you know, a, a smoked salmon flatbread or a smoked salmon or smoked fish appetizer, some of that celery root slaw, mm -hmm. maybe sliced thinly on your mandolin. Actually, I use it right now. Like tonight, we have venison rack as a special, mm. as well as buffalo. Nice. And uh, you, you know, I use that mix kind of like, I do like a root vegetable medley with salsify. There's the sweet potatoes. I mean, right now, it's a great time for all these, mm. these veggies. And it's just, it's beautiful. But people are just not familiar with it. And But it's, it's very easy to use. And it's super tasty. So. It Go is it. Super, it. <laughs> super tasty. Go out and buy it now. But wait, don't leave your radio yet because there's more delicious conversation ahead. There's more with Yvonne Getz of the winery, restaurant, and wine bar right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio this morning. Be right back. We have a taste for life, and we're satisfying your cravings with new ideas, quick tips, and easy recipes. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, KFWB News Talk 980, his Alsatian influence, along with his 
focus on wonderful wines brings together wine country cuisine at the winery restaurant and wine bar named Restaurateurs of the Year. Yvonne Getz, along with his partners, have an award-winning restaurant based in Tustin in Orange County at the district. He's a longtime friend and a fabulous cook, and we're delighted to have you, Chef, back here in your radio. Your... Uh, Alsatian influence, if you would, talk a little bit about how we can incorporate the style of your roots into our spring cuisine. Um, well, it's definitely, I mean, my roots is, you know, everything spring, you think of, of everything that, that's uh, like veggies, which are tender. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember growing up, and you know, as a kid, and everything was coming from the garden. I mean, my grandfather just had everything growing, so you just go out there and pick some nice green beans, which are just... You don't even have to cook them. Green beans, like snow peas, snap peas, little cherry tomatoes coming along, the baby turnips. And we do use a lot of root veggies. So from beets to turnips, celery again, you know, salsify, all this mm -hmm. kind of, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and of course, don't forget the wine again. <laughs> Everything, you know, we, we have this famous dish called the Baker Offer. And Wait, like say it again, Chef? Baker Offer. Baker Offer. Yeah. Okay. It's just, it's just basically, it translates to baker's oven and just sliced potatoes, onions, meat from beef, lamb, or use whatever you want and just drown it in, in white wine and just bake it in the oven for like four or five hours. And At what temperature, chef? Very, very low, 200. That, that dish, like during the war, they used to kind of like put these dishes when the baker was done with his, with his baking, um, all the, the, the ladies would come with the, the, the pots. And basically, the oven just stays hot forever. And they would put this traditional dish, and they would just, like, put it in the oven there and just, like, leave it there for three, four hours, and it's just it's so beautiful. Mm, it sounds so beautiful. I want everyone to know that more than 80 top-rated wines will be featured at the annual fundraiser that Yvonne puts on every year at the winery restaurant. It benefits the Marconi Foundation for Kids and CASA, two charities that Lana and I are great supporters of as well. And it's coming up Sunday, April 29th, the end of next month from 2 to 5 p.m. It's a glorious wine tasting with fabulous food, and tickets are still available. Tell us a little bit more about it, Yvonne. Well, that is a great event, great cause as well. And every year it just sells out in no, no time. And as you said, I mean, they bring like everything from, you know, starting off and like sometimes like last year was like Dom Perignon to Cristal like mm. some amazing reds. I mean, that, last year there was more like 100 wines. Impressive. Mm. I do like a, a lot of different appetizers and, we, you know, we do it on live so people can actually watch like, like, you know, like a cooking class kind of thing. There's still some tickets available. It's $150 a person and some of it is, you know, uh, tax deductible, but it, it sells out very quickly. And uh, we've been partnering with them for the past like four years and, you know, raised like $123,000. So... It's, it's a good cause. How marvelous. It's yeah. a marvelous event. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to spend his Sunday drinking wine, eating food, and, you know, for a good cause? So. Yeah, and, and we wouldn't miss it. So we'll be there, and right. we expect to see everyone there. The MarconiMuseum.org is handling the ticket sales, correct? Yes, it right. is. Right, www.marconi, M-A-R-C-O-N-I, museum.org. 
O-R-G. Chef, this is the time in our conversation where we get to get down and dirty. Ooh. And I, <laughs> I knew that was going to excite him. Uh, this is what we call a chef's perspective. So that those that love your fabulous food, those that have and might not have had an opportunity to dine at the winery yet, better get to know you. So if you'll allow me a few questions so that we can dig deeper into the mind of a chef. Absolutely. Go for it. This is the culinary perspective of Chef Yvonne Getz. Uh, tell us who your greatest culinary idol is, Chef. Actually, my greatest culinary idol was, was actually somebody I worked for in England. Uh, it was at the, the Dorchester Hotel. His name was Anton Moseman, and he was just unbelievable. He was just not only, not only a chef, but a, a businessman, and, and we changed the menu every single day. Every mm. single day, we just we start a new restaurant, and that was just amazing, and the flavors, and the it was like really good, and we actually received like the two Michelin star awards that year, and and it just remains with me, and just gives you a style. I mean, when you you know when you grow up as you know as a chef for a while, you don't really know what you like, what's your style, and then then once you see that, you're like, okay, this is this is me right there. Hmm. It's that very much says so much about you and defines you. And those Michelin stars, something you should wear on your arm forever. Uh, tell us the last meal you made for your kids. The last meal I made for my kids actually was a filet with spetzler, green beans, and a mushroom sauce. <laughs> and he remembers it distinctly. Uh, what's your greatest condiment addiction, Chef? Well, I have a thing for sweet chili sauce and Dijon mustard. As far as condiment, I love, love, love like the, the harissa. Ah, I yes. Know, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with harissa. A spicy palate, for yeah. sure. I, yeah, but you can, you can make it a little bit milder, but I just love that roasty... But as far as like seasoning, don't you know salt? Lord of to me is that you know that's one thing you must never forget. Don't leave home without it. <laughs> do Do you have a salt of choice? You like the fleur de sel, the salt that comes from the area where the lavender grows around the water and infuses a very subtle floral flavor, and that's usually the favorite of pastry chefs. Does your fleur de sel come from a particular region? It comes from actually this this one from, comes from uh, Brittany, but I've got in, actually in the, in the restaurant I've got like a little little salt box that goes to every single table and so basically there's like five flavored salts from you know mediterranean salt to smoked salt to like hawaiian sea salt cabernet salt and then the regular just blow the cell and let me tell you it's like at the beginning people you know i guess would just look at it and think why the hell and then but next minute it's like now that they request it you know so it goes to every single table and i had to buy another box because uh, it's very very popular people are liking the, the salt Oh, and I think it's a wonderful thing that the food world and so many savvy food lovers have come to really generously seasoning and the fact that we know the right salts to use, the best way to really boost the flavor. And salt has something, no doubt, to do with that. An appreciation for the level of seasoning and flavor in dishes is something I think we've come a long way with. Uh, I just received a Facebook mention. Your harissa is already getting talked about, Chef. Oh, really? And for those that are looking for a way to make their own, uh, harissa is a hot pepper paste that's used most often in North African cooking. Yeah. You can make it yourself. If you know peri-peri, then you know Chef's love of harissa. It is spicy hot, but we will share a recipe at chefjamie.com. Unless, of course, Chef, you have one that you like. Uh, you know, I mean, yes, as you mentioned, you can make your own, but you don't need to. I mean, you know, it's like I use this for 
for dressings, we have calamaries at the bar. It goes in there. I've got sliders. It goes in there as well. So the uh, store-bought version is just fine for you? Yes. Okay. Yes. We'll, we'll take your lead there. And yes. last but not least, Chef, what would we be surprised to find in your fridge at home? Oh, my. Oh, you can't ask me that because there's nothing in there. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to I'm a the, restaurant I'm the chef. Worst one. You know, as we say back home, it's like the shoemaker he has the, you know, is wearing the worst shoes. And I think it's probably the same for the <laughs> chef. You know, he has the worst fridge. But I do have truffle truffle paste, you know, black truffle paste and truffle oil. So. Okay, then you know what? As I like to say, you and I can definitely continue to be friends. <laughs> We're very delighted that you joined us. We're looking forward to seeing you on April 29th at Sunday in the Vineyard, the fundraiser going on at the winery, restaurants, and wine bar. You'll find Chef Yvonne and his partners, JC and William, at the helm running a restaurant that has really been touted as one of the finest, not only in Southern California, specifically Orange County, but a, a far greater scope. And we're delighted to have you in our neck of the woods, Yvonne. And Thank you very much. Uh, we wish you a lovely Sunday and a great Sunday supper. Thank you very much. I love Sunday supper. Thank you. And we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Okay. We'll see you on the, on the Sunday for Sunday in the Vineyard. Yes. We'll look forward to it. If you would like recipes from Chef Yvonne's best sellers, the favorites from the winery restaurant, email us, please, at live, L-I-V-E, at chefjamie.com. We'll send you recipes for pan-seared local halibut with manila clams and chili lime rubbed Hawaiian mahi-mahi. You can find Yvonne at thewinerystaurant.net. There's more fabulous food after this, a place for people who love to eat. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. We love technology, right? We love the internet for its incredible resources, for the fact that you can find a recipe from around the world or make a dinner reservation. And now you can do it all through your phone. Smartphone apps number in the hundreds of thousands. And with the faster, more powerful mobile devices hitting the market, we find that it's a challenge for everyone to keep up with all the information that we're exposed to every day. There are brand new forecasts on what's ahead, and you as a consumer are getting an avalanche of data. So we're delighted to have Robert Barlow from Cisco here to tell us what's around the corner in our very connected world. Welcome. Good morning, Robert. Thank you. Good morning. Okay, so everyone has a mobile device today. Lana on her iPhone has the coolest apps ever, and my three-and-a-half-year-old godbaby she has a phone she likes to play with, too, and she knows how to work the iPad. So um, tell us, there's a lot of research out there as to where the technology world is going to expand even greater, too. Uh, what are some of the surprising results that Cisco came up with? Right. Uh, essentially, we, we've developed a, a process whereby we, we come up with the, what's called the Cisco Visual Networking Index. And it really is our effort to predict and put into view the landscape in, in the year 2016. We, we try to predict out... Now, what we found in our most recent survey just released this week uh, is talking about the number of mobile connections that are really happening around the world, as well as the number of mobile users that are using those connected devices. And then, of course, you add in there the speed elements of it. It then promotes this tremendous growth. And then what really is driving all of that is the visual aspect of it, the mobile video. Mm. And as we all know from accessing the Internet, being able to see makes it much easier to prepare that dish, makes it much easier to follow along than just reading about it in text. 
Oh, definitely so. It is the step-by-step step instructions, the visuals, the finished plate presentation. Of course, coming back to a food standpoint, Robert, you know I always go there. Um, but it's it's true. It does take home cooks to the next level. And the fact that you can stand in the supermarket and actually see on your smartphone a finished dish or to inspire you with some visual to create uh, the ultimate garnish or to not forget an item is what I think is most incredible. There's more and more information being searched, shared, and stored worldwide, we know. And I would love to know from you where Cisco sees the most mobile traffic or um, what applications people are using the most. Great question. I think when you break it down and, and you start thinking about it, in 2016, our, our, our recent survey showed we're expecting that there's going to be about 8 billion handheld or personal mobile devices, whether it be in the supermarket, inside restaurants, embedded in your car, all kinds of things, and an additional 2 billion machine-to-machine connections. So that might very well be from an appliance in your, your kitchen over to you know your local store or uh, a distributor of some sort. Right. But when you step back a minute and you look at the global region, uh, you know, we see a number of top areas developing and generating uh, just a tremendous amount of traffic. Uh, the number one region by 2016 will, not surprisingly, be Asia-Pacific. Right. Here we have a number of, of broadband connections and people that are very well connected uh, using their smartphones, their tablets, connected devices, and so forth. And just, just to give you a little flavor, uh, we think globally the amount of traffic that's going to traverse the global Internet, uh, mobile Internet, mind you, is 130 exabytes of data. And if we take that into North America, uh, just, just to give you a snapshot there, we believe that in North America, we're going to see about 1.9 exabits of data a month. Now you say, well, how much is really 1.9 exabits? Let me give you a I was just going to say, yeah, wait a second. You, you're you're <laughs> using fill, fill the, a, a technological term, right? <laughs> That's right. And, and we, we hear gigabytes and this kind of thing, but, but an exabyte of data is actually a very large number. And, and in North America, just the traffic alone that's going to be generated in 2016 will generate 1.9 exabytes of data. And essentially, if, an, if one byte of data is equivalent to the size of a jelly bean, so picture a jelly bean and then one byte of data, 1.9 exabytes would be enough jelly beans to fill the Grand Canyon twice each month. Each month? Each month. And so what, what we see is, is an exabyte of data is quite a lot, and North America is going to be generating quite a bit of that traffic. And then globally, of course, is, is that larger number that I told you, which means that you have a larger connected world that can then upload and share, whether it's video, whether it's text, whether it's even a direct connection through a high-speed or high-definition video connection. Imagine the future where you're able to connect to your favorite chef who's actually in their kitchen with a webcam and a high-definition screen that you're able to watch and do it side-by-side. Oh, wait, I, I want to be that chef, Robert. <laughs> there you go. That is very cool. And I want to thank you for the food analogy because you knew you had me at Jelly Beans <laughs> and you had us listening. An exabyte. I, I'm so glad to learn a new term. I just mastered gigabyte, megabyte, and all of the, you know, different levels and ratios. That's right. Uh, Robert, we hear commercials mention 3G, 4G, 4G LTE. What does that mean and why do we need to care about that? Great question, Lana. Essentially, what, what we have uh, today is a lot of people on the 3G network, right? And this is, on average, about 3 megabits a second. So to translate that, if you were to log into iTunes, download you know, a quick video file uh, of your favorite, you know, Jamie's latest cooking creation, for example, that would take about 1 to 2 minutes to download to your smartphone or your tablet. Now, if you shift to a 4G, the efficiencies in the technology would raise that speed from 3 megabits 
to anywhere from 100 megabit to a full gigabit, thus getting that same file in a matter of seconds. That's what's so interesting to me, Robert, is that the proportional increase is extreme. It's not Uh just 3G to 4G doubled the speed by which the information transfers. It's like a hundred times faster every time we come out with a new technology. And I noticed that you mentioned iTunes. I noticed that when we post every Monday, the weekly podcast of this show. And Mm -hmm. if you're using a smart device, that's even faster than your previous version. The podcast does actually upload, I mean, more than 10 times faster. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's how the wonderful uh, world of technology works, right? We see these in- exponential growth rates of, of people coming onto the network. You have the network speeds increasing. You have the number of devices increasing. All of that forms to, to move the industry and the market and our personal lives forward, thankfully. And what is the downside? You're talking about these exabytes of quantity of information and so many people having multiple devices that are on a network and live video chef in your kitchen. But what happens? Can, can there be too much mobile traffic? Another great question. I think, I think what we see here is a great opportunity, both on the personal side as, as individuals and as people and as families. We see this technology and the growth in mobile devices and the access to any content anywhere, anytime as very empowering. It's very exciting to think about the opportunities to connect and have these personalized experiences as a, as a, as a consumer. We also see it as a great business opportunity for service providers and for other businesses to connect with their constituents, to meet those expectations, to offer new services, to enable these sorts of connections, whether you're in the you know, food industry or the high-tech industry or government or uh, education, any of those, healthcare, any of those really essential um, uh, occupations, it enables that connection both on the business side and the consumer side. It's really exciting. I think it's very exciting too. And even from a food perspective, it really does help us, I believe, get ahead. I was reading the Cisco full study and I happen to love that it, it's topped with some information for a radio show hosts like myself. And it says 2012 is so yesterday. <laughs> and it's so funny. We, we're just embarking on 2012, really. One of the new technologies, Robert, that we found, Lana and I, and are very excited about, is this concept of Blipar. And if you take a Heinz bottle or multiple food products that have the, is it a QR? Is that the, the tag that allows the information mm-hmm. to be embedded? Mm-hmm. Okay, now I have Exabyte and QR down. Uh, you can hold your iPhone over the Heinz bottle and these recipes and all of the information and content that is embedded in the label appears on your phone like a holograph almost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is, I think, the most spectacular technology from a, a consumer perspective we've seen. They call it mobile augmented reality advertising. What can you tell us about it and what, what's next? And, and give this, if you would, from the Cisco perspective, what's next as far as trends having to do with food and restaurants? Great question. So what we see is exactly as you say, the ability to connect more people across more devices in a way that's meaningful to them is really the way of the future. Cisco sees a number of opportunities, particularly in the area of video, and in your case where you're talking about food, the ability to connect globally with a chef in India or a chef in the West Coast or East Coast or any of China, uh, France, the ability to stay connected wherever you are. You have a quick question, quickly, just I am them, or quick pull up a video call, or 
tune into their kitchen to see what's happening. All of this gives us this ability to be connected. And so what we really see is just this explosion of data and this explosion of opportunity for us to become more connected and have that passion in our lives fulfilled through rich and meaningful communication, particularly in the area of food, which I also enjoy. And so the ability to log in and exchange ideas and talk face-to-face is, is something that's very exciting. And, of course, it'll help me make better meals at the end of the day. Right, and that's really what it is all about, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think the technology is extraordinary. We've gone from a content-driven website at chefjamie.com to realizing that the interaction with our listener, our fans, the food lover, has to be deeper than just the written recipe. And that's really where, as you've said, the technology is taking us to. So now the opportunity to be live in your kitchen and walk you through the recipe is a possibility. When will we see that? Is that a is that an actual live feed or simulation? It, it could be either one. With the increase in speeds of the network, with the increased ability to identify who's on the network when and where, you get more real-time information. And so the fact that if you choose to say, my kitchen is open for anybody to come in and, and watch me prepare, uh, you log in and you'd be able to do that, all of that is going to enable it. And what, what's most interesting uh, you know, with our current study is that's being enabled mobile, right? So you could actually be at a restaurant and offer a live mobile critique uh, and be able to upload and, 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 and interact with folks uh, as appropriate real time, right? Not just a store and forward, not just a wait till you get home kind of a thing and then go on to a broadband connection, but you have that capability mobile uh, with respect to your mobile device. And that's what's, that's what's quite exciting. It's like a virtual cooking class around the world. Absolutely. It really has a wow factor. Oh, spectacular. Robert, thank you for being here, for sharing the Cisco study. Just give us some information as to how we can stay ahead. Where can we get all the information on the study? Sure. You can find more information on our Visual Networking Index with some cool tools uh, at www.cisco.com slash go slash VNI. V as in Victor, N as in Nancy, I. That's correct. Terrific. We will make sure to stay ahead so that we can be ready. And we thank you for sharing your passion for not only technology, but fabulous food. Uh, Robert Barlow with Cisco with what is on the cutting edge. The delicious conversation continues. We're keeping your life full of not only delicious conversation, but the information you need to know because 2012 is so yesterday. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio Got to keep up. We'll be right back. We have menu ideas and recipes for busy people from budget-friendly meals to grilling and braising, salads to sweets. This radio show shares everything you need for fabulous food. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio, serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. Find me on Facebook and Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen. So Easter is just a few weeks away, and... Ham or lamb? That is the question. We want to make sure that your Easter and your Passover meals are something special this year. So stay tuned in the coming weeks as we talk more in depth about your holiday feasts. But since ham is the star at many Easter brunches and dinners... 
And we thought we would take a few minutes to talk about the wide variety of what you can buy and what is offered in the world of ham. Now, technically, ham refers to meat that is cut from the back legs or shoulders of a pig, and it can be salt cured or smoked or even aged. And what I love about ham is that it's called many different things depending upon the country that it comes from. Now, we call it ham in this country whether we smoke it or slice it for sandwiches. But interestingly enough, in China, it began as an addition to stewing other kinds of meat in vegetables with soups as well. And it was a base. Now, the most famous Chinese ham is the Jinwa ham, and it's a dry cured ham. The French call their ham, it's a cured ham, Bayonne, which is the name acquired from the port city of Bayonne found in the southwest of France. In Spain, we love Serrano, right? That's the prosciutto style, which most people are uh, very fond of and know well from Italy. And it has that famous flavor and texture. And jamón is their cooked ham in Spain, that which is used for sandwiches but tastes often so much better than ours. And then Italians call their hams uh, prosciutto. It can be a cured or cooked version of the ham. The cured ham term is prosciutto crudo, cold, and the cooked ham is called prosciutto cotto. And that's why cotta ham, which we love, or copa, you often see, is one of the most flavorful hams on a beautiful antipasto platter or when you see salumi on a menu. Fabulous flavor. But let's talk Easter ham. Okay, so for Easter ham, when it comes to the American side of ham. Hams are sold with or without the bone and most often fully cooked. Like for instance, at Bristol Farms, you'll find a spiral sliced ham this year from Debecca, which I actually had the opportunity to taste, but it's apple wood smoked Mm. and it has great wood flavor. Wow. Really good. And it comes spiral sliced and fully cooked for you. So really what you need to do is finish it. Now, fully cooked hams can be served as is, but I think they taste better glazed. And you want to remember, no matter whether you're cooking a whole ham, bone in or boneless, that you always bring it to 140 degrees internal temperature with a meat thermometer. And you always, here's another chef's tip, want to let it rest 15 minutes before you carve in order to let the juices redistribute and to keep the meat firm. If you've ever had a spiral sliced ham just fall apart in pieces, it's because you didn't let it rest properly. You didn't get that beautiful juicy slice. And in fact, oftentimes we get emails during Easter time that it just fell apart. It shredded. It was more like pulled pork than ham. And it's interesting to see the commentary on the internet. You must Mm -hmm. let it rest. Take my chef's tip. Now, when buying a ham... Here's how you estimate how much you need. If you're buying a boneless ham, you need about a third of a pound of meat per person. And this does allow for leftovers. If you're buying a bone-in ham, you need a half a pound of meat per person. Same premise mm. as when you plan for your holiday turkey. And does that include leftovers? It does, but not, not best, enough for you and me. It's the best part. <laughs> it is the best part. Mm. Now, the slicing method of a spiral sliced ham was actually invented in 1957 to reduce carving problems. It goes way back. And when you buy a spiral sliced ham, I recommend that you reheat in an oven at 325 degrees no higher. You will risk drying out the ham. About 10 minutes per pound is the proper 
time allotment for reheating a spiral sliced ham. You have to put some liquid at the bottom of that pan when you, you do. reheat. And that's the process of keeping the steam or the moisture in the oven alive so that the ham stays plenty moist. And what type of liquid are you using? Well, I don't think water has any flavor. No. I was taught that from you and Emerald. <laughs> so I'm choosing liquid that's full of flavor. If you have unfiltered apple juice or cider from this season's apple crop, great liquid to steam your ham in. And I love cola. And you're big on cola, and yes. that's a very traditional Southern style. Mm-hmm. If you have, Dr. Pepper. I was going to say, Dr. Pepper, yeah. Coca-Cola, whatever you have mm-hmm. in your fridge will allow uh, for great flavor and moisture. And if you happen to be recovering from your St. Patty's Day partying, and the beer is still left in your fridge in abundance come the Easter holiday, anything from a stout to a Pilsner to oh, an ale would be great, would be great mm-hmm. to steam. Now, when it comes to the coating on the ham, oh. this is an old family favorite. Most definitely a raisin glaze. Yes. And oh, I think pe- if you've already picked out your store-bought ham and you want to make the best ham ever, you need a glaze. Mm-hmm. So how do you make yours? This is pretty simple. It's just brown sugar, a little cornstarch, dry mustard, vinegar, of course, raisins, some lemon juice and lemon peel and water. Nice. And during the last part of the cooking process or reheating process, since you're going to cook your ham for another hour or so, hour and a half, depending upon the size or weight of the ham, during the last 45 minutes to 30 to 45 minutes, I start to glaze. Now, I have three glazes. We have your raisin glaze, Lana. Mm -hmm. I have a dulce de leche glazed ham that I think is out of this world. And it's everything you love about the Latin dessert sauce that's made by boiling milk until it's caramel-like. And it has Dijon mustard in it and a pinch of cayenne. And it is sweet and so delicious. I have Mm. a tangerine glaze using Melissa's Ojai Pixie tangerines, which are really sweet this season. And that's a beautiful tangerine juice, brown sugar, rosemary, cinnamon infusion, and a bourbon brown sugar glaze for those that like a little ham with their bourbon. Some uh, caramelized pecans and molasses too. Oh, that's a perfect combination. Sounds good to me. Mm. Easter is coming. We will gladly share the recipes with you for our four Easter ham glazes for this year's holiday feasts. Please email us live, L-I-V-E, at chefjamie.com. You should send your food photos from your travels to that same email address live at chefjamie.com we have a food photo contest going on and details are at chefjamie.com stay tuned we've been receiving some fabulous pictures i know i can't wait to share them there's another delicious hour of fabulous food in your radio coming up next chef jamie gwen along with lana you're listening to kfwb news talk 980 wow you have good taste Welcome to the second hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. 
We're satisfying your cravings this morning. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. Coming up in just a moment, do you have a family heirloom made of cast iron? Well, we're going to dish on cast iron cooking. And if you have a question about how to season your pan or cook the best cornbread, phone lines are open, 888-539-2980-888-539-2980. You'll find us at chefjamie.com, and we hope you'll mark your calendar because you're invited. Our live broadcast has been scheduled for the spring season. Please join us on May 6th, Sunday, beginning at 8 a.m., live from Bristol Farms in Manhattan Beach. We are teaming up with the Melissa's Produce Crew, and we will be offering delicious conversation live along with fabulous food. You can come learn and taste and share a wonderful morning with us may 6th mark your calendars bristol farms in new in manhattan beach rather excuse me manhattan beach we will be broadcasting live we believe that food is life so create and savor yours it is interesting to me that we're rediscovering the joy of cooking with classic cast iron and it's said that cast iron cookware will enrich your eggs and burgers i agree it's impossible to break no doubt and it will last longer than you there's a new cookbook out called the lodge cast iron cookbook brought to us by the famous lodge manufacturing company of seasoned cast iron the oldest family-owned cookware company in the country and mark kelly joins us to dish on cast iron cookware and the best things to make good morning mark good morning how are you jamie uh lana and i are well thank you and you i'm doing very well thanks it's a beautiful spring day here in southeast tennessee oh we love that what'd you make for breakfast in your best cast iron skillet well, I had bacon and eggs, pretty simple stuff, and uh, an English muffin, but uh, <clears throat> that, that's a basic Sunday morning treat here. It sounds good to me. You know, cookware fads may come and go, it's said, but uh, cast iron cookware is forever. It will outlast all of us, won't it? Oh, yeah. I have uh, a skillet and a Dutch oven that were given to my grandmother as a wedding present in 1918, and <gasps> I still use them all the time today. That's incredible. That it, truly it really is. Yes. So it, you know, you have a sense of cooking with your grandparents or great grandparents, and um, I remember so many of those meals that my grandmother made when I was a youth, and I, I still use those uh, that skillet and Dutch oven. And um, you know, it, the skillet is well known, but the Dutch oven is equally versatile. So uh, yeah, it 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 lasts forever, and uh, people revere those. And and when they pass on, they uh, they will their cast iron cookware to their children and grandchildren. And tell us, if you would, if we have family heirlooms like this, the best starting place to to dish on cast iron cookware and what to make in it is how to preserve these pans. So let's talk about the treatment and maintenance of a cast iron skillet if it was passed down to you. If you have received a pan or a Dutch oven or griddle from one of your relatives, if it's well seasoned, the the main thing is... um, after you cook with it, uh, just to do a little delicate use and care, just rub a little bit of oil on it after you clean it and uh, put it on the stove top or in the oven for just a little bit of time at low temperature to let those oils seep in. And uh, if you do that, it will last essentially forever. And the more you cook with it, the better it gets. And um, that's, that's a basic scenario that's been going on for a 1,000 years now. What's your opinion about washing with soap and water, a scouring brush, a sponge, Mark? What should we be using in the sink? 
basically, if you, it's okay to use a mild uh, soap if you want to. I personally just wipe it out and use warm water and use a nylon scrubby or a, uh, a nylon uh, uh, scraper to clean off any extra particles. But if it's been used for a while, it's going to be virtually non-sick, so it's extremely easy to clean. Um, you would never use a Brillo pad or anything steel because that would uh, that would rub off the seasoning and absolutely never uh, put your cast iron cookware into a dishwasher. That washes off all that great seasoning that you've been working a long time to, to create. But if you do, it, it, it's uh, very forgivable to start cooking with it again and putting those oils in there and just don't put it in the dishwasher again. It's a beautiful thing. It is forgi- It does forgive you, and it always comes back. The other suggestion, and I'm always of the mindset that you should not use soap with your cast iron cookware, a nylon brush, yes, and then wiped out clean. You must dry your cast iron cookware rather than leave it out to air dry. Absolutely. Because- Never leave it out to air dry because that, that uh, helps the rust come in, and rust is, uh, is, is the enemy of, of cast iron cookware. But if you dry it and put it in a, a cool, dry place, uh, that won't happen. But if, if rust does appear, it's, it's, once again, it's very forgiving. <clears throat> Just scrape the rust down and, and uh, put some oil in there and, and start cooking, and it's perfectly fine. Or if you, act, if you absolutely have to re-season it, that's a, that's a very easy process. And uh, that takes a little over an hour, and then you just start cooking with it again. But, again, the soap thing is a lot of people are upset about it. Like I said, I personally don't use soap, but some people do. But uh, it's a a cooking implement that lasts forever, and uh, actually food tastes better, and it's healthy for you to cook with cast iron. Mark, I use salt when I uh, clean out my cast iron skillet. I do the same thing. And, you do. Uh, Good. I, I, it's a paste. I use a paste of rough or coarse salt or kosher salt, mm-hmm. and uh, that does an excellent job. And then, again, I put oil on afterwards, and uh, it works perfectly fine. Is there any particular oil that you use? I use olive oil myself. You do? Uh, it just hmm. provides more flavor. But uh, uh, we have a great friend in Sacramento, California, Al Hernandez with Divine Times. He has a whole series of skillets and other cooking implements that uh, he seasons with duck fat because he likes the smoky flavor that duck fat imparts. Oh, oh what wait. a great idea. I really like him, Mark. <laughs> I, I don't even yeah. know the man. He, Al is a great resource. He's a, he's a trained uh, professional chef, and uh, he grew up with cast iron cookware like so many of us, and uh, he understands that you can create different flavors. Flavor, sure. I'm thinking that I'm going to season my cast iron skillets with uh, leftover bacon grease from the breakfast uh, I, I, dishes. I do that. My, you know, I, of course, we use a lot of bacon in the South, and that creates a lot of flavor. Um, yeah, In this area of the country, uh, in, you know, bacon is uh, used quite frequently. We had a dinner party last night, and there was a, there was a pork tenderloin that had been uh, cooked with ba- wrapped in bacon and uh it was extremely good so uh yeah bacon is uh is not a bad thing it's, no. it's uh heck i won't even say moderation it's a great thing thank you good i'm glad you won't say moderation when it comes to cooking in cast iron uh, start at breakfast for us because one of both lana's and my go-to recipes for a breakfast favorite or a brunch gathering or get together is a frittata 
And you have one in the cookbook that's a seasonal breakfast frittata, which is how I like to make it as well. Depending upon the produce of the season, if it's winter and there's chard or mustard greens, if it's springtime, I go to goat cheese and fresh heirloom tomatoes. But a frittata is a great thing to do in a cast iron skillet. You get a great crust and a beautiful rise. That's the thing that I, I preach all the time about cast iron is it creates a dry heat. And so when you're, when you're cooking with it, particularly something like a breakfast frittata, you do get that great crust. And uh, it gives you, gives you a little bit of crunch and texture to the food that you don't get with, with other types of cookware. And um, so it's, it's wonderful. And, and uh, I, I actually did a dueling uh, skillet uh, contest a few years ago with a high school classmate of mine. She's a big devote, or was a big devotee of nonstick. Uh, skillets, and uh, I cooked a frittata with uh, my cast iron skillet. She did with her uh, nonstick, and mine was better. Took less time to cook, and uh, she got rid of all of her nonstick, and she's uh, she's converted. <laughs> so yeah, and the, the great thing about our uh, our wonderful food culture now is you can cook seasonally, and but you have this great resource that cooks every season, three meals a day, uh, and snacks in between. But I love my breakfast frittatas with a cast iron skillet. Uh, I do everything with mine. I bake a cake in it. Mm. I fry in it. I roast in it. It's an all-around pan, really. It is an all-around pan, and I love the fact that uh, more people are learning that it's an oven-safe skillet because so many types of skillets aren't oven-safe. You can use a cast-iron skillet on the stovetop in the oven, on the grill, campsite, and bring it back and use it. Over and over and over. Over and over again. Mark, please stay with us. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, fresh peach crumb coffee cake, nothing but cornbread, and the best of blueberry ginger peach upside down cakes to breakfast, lunch, and dinner, virtually everything from your cast iron skillet. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana and the Lodge Cast Iron Cookbook. More after this. Discovering new ways and some great old ones to cook your favorite dishes. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. This is my culinary playground. Cornbread and cast iron are a match made in heaven. We're dishing with Mark Kelly of the Lodge Company. The cast iron cookbook from Lodge has just recently released. And Lodge is, in fact, the only domestic manufacturer of the cast iron pan. They've been producing cast iron cookware since 1896. There's an incredible uh, cornbread event that goes on every year. 40,000 people show up, Mark, just to eat and taste every cornbread recipe possible absolutely imaginable the, the the beautiful thing is uh <clears throat> we're in a little town of 3300 people so when uh, cornbread time comes to get between and sometimes one year we actually had 62,000 people but uh yeah we have a, a an area called cornbread alley where there is a, a different types of cornbread to taste and the the beauty of the cornbread festival is we're celebrating main dish cornbread, where it's uh, a cup of Martha White cornmeal and then a variety of ingredients in the uh, mixture, and, uh, and it turns out to be a, a fabulous array of recipes, hmm. and we have a, a cook-off every year, and the, and the cook-off is quite, uh, quite amazing, and have 10 finalists come in from all over the country, and uh, 
I'm not a judge, but I get to sample those, and it's absolutely amazing what, what these great uh, chefs and uh, cookbook authors create. Mark, you mentioned Martha Cornmeal? Martha White Cornmeal. Martha White Cornmeal. I don't think we... I've seen that before. It's I guess online I will look for cornmeal. It's uh, now owned by Smuckers and is being marketed on a regional basis. But essentially, any type of cornmeal will do. But uh, What type of grind is it? Is it a fine grind? It's a fine grind, and uh, it's, uh, it's a very traditional cornmeal. If you go on the Internet uh, and listen to the Grand Ole Opry uh, presentations on Saturday night uh, from the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville, you will hear it being promoted. But again, it's a it's a very regional uh, brand, but uh, mm. any type of cornmeal will do. And uh, these recipes are everything from uh, Mediterranean style to uh, absolute my favorite. I, and you can tell I grew up on the Georgia coast. A crab cake cornbread, where the the cornmeal works is the medium for mm. the crab meat. I uh, make a crawfish cornbread just to prove that I did cook in Nolens in Louisiana. Uh, and I, I love that flavor too, Mark. There's something wonderful about the rich seafood uh, along with the textural component of the cornbread. There's a sour cream cornbread in the book. Lana, there's your uh, favorite, which is a buttermilk base. And it has uh, a couple of tablespoons of bacon drippings too, which only make everything taste better. Of course. There's a mayonnaise cornbread as well, which uses a small skillet. Which uh, lends me uh, leads me to talk rather, Mark, about there's lots of different varieties of cookware that you can bake in. Even for cornbread, the sticks come from a lodge pan, and I love the little indentations of a corn cob. The corn stick pans have been a uh, a basic of our line since uh, Joseph Lodge started the company uh, in 1896. We have the really tiny ones all the way up to a. Uh, a nine-stick corn stick pan, but they all have those indentions to make it look like corn when you when you drop them out, and uh, people absolutely adore them. I call them corn fingers. Yeah, no. corn fingers yeah. or corn sticks. Yeah, nice. Mark, do you like yellow cornmeal or white cornmeal? I'm a I'm a yellow cornmeal person. Uh, the one thing that that Southerners are very uh, particular about is not putting sugar in cornbread. Um, so that's, that's a northern thing, or we have another word that we use down here in the south that uh, some people don't particularly care for. But it's, it's a very regional thing. But I am a yellow cornmeal person, yes. Okay, and I am a white and yellow combined, or I happen to like a white cornmeal as well. I, ha- I like the sweetness of it, and that's very contrary to what you just mentioned. I'm a couple tablespoons of sugar in my biscuits, couple tablespoons of sugar in my cornbread kind of girl. That's the beauty of the of the world food culture. Yes. Nothing's wrong. <laughs> That's very true. I'll tell you what's right, though, Mark. One of my favorite things to do with cast iron is to make a chili or a stew and top it with some kind of crust, whether it be cornbread or biscuit. So chicken and dumplings is the ultimate dish for a cast iron skillet. Chicken and dumplings is wonderful. Uh, a lot of people make... Uh, Corn pies, and that's been part of the cornbread festival. One of my favorite was a, a cornmeal um, with a, with chili inside with a cornmeal crust. Last year's um, winner of the National Cornbread Festival was a French onion soup with a cornbread crust. Oh, and it wow! Was absolutely stunning. Uh, it, and the the lady who won was from Virginia, and uh, 
I'm not a big fan of French onion soup, but I was converted that day. That, I, I, I got a new religion. I was going to say, I could have yours if you don't mind. We're big <laughs> French onion soup lovers. And again, to use your cast iron skillet to caramelize onions low and slow to retain that mm-hmm. heat, to get that good sear on a steak, to make the ultimate upside down cake, bring it on. Oh, that sounds delicious. And being that it's still St. Patrick's Day weekend, yes. you can make a Guinness onion soup with a cornbread topping. Oh, beautiful. That is if there's any Guinness left in the fridge. (laughs) Mark, we're going to try all of the wonderful cornbread recipes in the book, and we're very glad you've joined us. Thank you for sharing the virtues of the Lodge Cast Iron Cookbook. A Treasury of Timeless Delicious Recipes is available to you now. Rediscovering the Joy of Cooking with Cast Iron with an entire chapter devoted to cornbread. We've also posted one of the best pineapple upside-down cake recipes in a truly old-fashioned style on the website at chefjamie.com, direct from the Lodge Cookbook, and we hope you'll check it out as the delicious conversation continues. Thank you again, Mark. Thank you all, and have a great day. And you have a great day, too. There's more fabulous food in your radio after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana. Be right back. Loading your plate with ideas, recipes, and tips that are easy to make and hard not to love. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, in your radio this Sunday. We always love when this gentleman stops by. Not only is he a true gentleman, but an extraordinary talent. And we are very delighted to have him here in our backyard at Kulina, the restaurant at Four Seasons at Los Angeles, Beverly Hills, from the Latin word, by the way, for kitchen. Chef Vic Casanova is showcasing the intersection of traditional and modern Italian cuisine with a menu that is guided by truly exceptional ingredients. And this is a chef's perspective, an opportunity to get into the mind behind the chef. And we do always love when you come to visit Good morning, Chef. Glad to have you. Good morning. My pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, Vic, tell us uh, what's on the menu right now. It's winter, and we know you love to cook seasonally. So what's your favorite dish? It's it's really simple, but we're doing this awesome dish with king salmon. Mm -hmm. We have on the base of the plate, we have blacrati. Blacrati? Blacrati. I don't know that word. It's like Italian sauerkraut, uh, basically. So... What I mean by that is we take uh, red cabbage and cut it into nice thin ribbons and braise it down with a little bit of garlic and red wine vinegar and a little bit of sugar. So that's simple. So it's got a little bit of agrodolce, right, without the vinegar? A little bit. A little bit. And then on top, I often, when I do something cooked, I usually match it with something raw. So we'll take on the the top of the fish, um, we'll take raw red cabbage cut into really thin thin ribbons, almost like a chiffonade. And then um, we'll take matchsticks of green apple, Mm. and we'll take some chive batons Mm -hmm. and toss it in a very simple whole grain mustard vinaigrette with, you know, whole grain mustard, extra virgin olive oil, and some fresh lemons, squeezed lemon juice. Oh, it sounds pretty delicious. so delicious. I would eat that for breakfast right now. I want to go back to this idea of cooked versus raw. Is the ingredient always the same? Red cabbage on the base... Is it cold versus hot, then the raw, cold red cabbage as the salad, or can the ingredients be different? I think a big part of my job is showcasing the simple ingredients. So if, if the dish is going to speak cabbage, or the match between cabbage and a salmon, um, how I do that is show the different personalities. And I think it's really cool. You think about if you slowly roast celery root, it's very different than if I take celery root in raw form, shave it, and toss it with a little bit of vinaigrette. 
Mm. It I like them both. Perspective. It does. And, and I like the beauty of both, but you're right. They're incredibly different. I love raw celery root shaved on the mandolin into thin matchsticks into a slaw or even a salad. And then when you roast it, it gets this beautiful caramelized feel to it and flavor to it that is a completely different flavor profile. Uh, and a sweetness. And a sweetness, an inherent sweetness, yes. Talk about seasonality, because one of the things that Lana points out very often about you on this show when we talk about your dishes is that you are extraordinarily driven by the market. That's true. I, I think that um, the best way to to have a menu evolve, it sort of it tells me. You know, when I go to the market and I see what's available, you know, when you're talking fall into winter, you know, you go through the time when, when we're thinking about root vegetables, mm-hmm. you know, butternut squash, celery root, um, parsnips, Things along those lines. I love it. I Brussels sprouts, mm. cabbage, mm-hmm. all those that are really like firm, hearty flavors. You know, it, it comes just in time when you start thinking about asparagus and you start thinking about things that are like green and, and, and everything coming back to life. You know, I can't get away from the natural cycles that I went through growing up as a child in New York. Sometimes in California, it's so beautiful here. Uh, sometimes you can miss it if you're not looking. It's true, only because we're so very spoiled that it becomes very the, the day in, day out, ex, you know, it's expected. It's beautiful all year long. Yes, that like, it You is. know, like in New York City, when it's when it's freezing and it's snowing, like you, you know that you should be eating cabbage. Right. <laughs> okay, so with spring uh, just weeks away, as we embark on a new season, what should we know we should be eating? I have this one salad that I think that it, it really showcases and speaks to spring. We take beautiful watercress from California, Sausalito Springs, and we toss it with shaved asparagus that's raw, matchsticks of chives, shaved trumpet mushrooms, also from California. Hmm. We had some toasted hazelnuts, and we toss the whole thing in a bright champagne vinaigrette. Oh, what a combination. And then after it's all done, we grate some locatelli pecorino on top of it. Hmm. What I like about it is that it's a specific taste that makes you feel... I'm sorry, I missed I miss some key elements. Fava bean. Yeah, don't forget anything here, chef. Come on, you're holding out on me. <laughs> the favas are key. Ah, uh, the fava um, beans are key. It's it's earthy and yes. grassy, and, and it makes you feel like you're, you're transported. Anything else you forgot, Vic? No, I think we got it. Okay, good. <laughs> and with this clean, bright, acidic vinaigrette, and I think that there's a richness to fava beans, a butteriness, a creaminess to them that would be very beautifully offset by the acidity in a champagne dressing. Okay, so we're all running out. Let's review the ingredients because Lana has already written half the recipe down and we're grateful for good notes. That's part of tonight's menu. Oh, I can't wait. Mm-hmm. So you're making an interpretation of Vic Caf- Casanova's Bowl of Spring. Mm-hmm. I've renamed it, Chef. And I it's love it. fava beans, watercress, asparagus... Trumpet mushrooms. Trumpets, thank you. Toasted hazelnuts, champagne champagne vinaigrette, and shaved pecorino. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm. Oh, I can't wait. Sounds fabulous. It It really does sound delicious. But, you know, that's one of the things about the way you cook that we love. And, by the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late 
You don't have to make a reservation for this show, but you certainly don't want to miss it. I mean, trust me, you'll thank me later. Vic Casanova is here. He's the executive chef of Kalina at the Four Seasons Hotel at Los Angeles Beverly Hills. He takes the hotel out of hotel restaurants, and he cooks modern and traditional Italian cuisine combined. And there are dishes of yours, Vic, that I can never get out of my head. You make um, spaghetti that uh, I have often said um, is one of the most addictive dishes in Los Angeles and beyond. It's all about the simplicity of the sauce. This salad that you just described, I can't get out of my head now. Um, We'll get to dessert and an affogato that you've become even more famous because of. But it really is all about driving the season. So talk to us a little bit about Italian braises because we're coming out of winter and I don't want to miss that. I think that braising is probably the most satisfying cooking method that I execute. Right now we're doing a couple in the restaurant. We're doing um, a very, very, very cool pasta dish. We're making this pasta called gargati. And it's extruded from this old school um, manual brass extruder that comes from Lombardy. Mm-hmm. And Gargatti is referring to, it looks like almost, uh, you could say Gorgonelli, you can see, it, it, the shape resembles the esophagus. Okay. Right, so it's a tube, like a small tube, and it has very rigid edges. And we make the actual, uh, the dough with, with whole wheat. Um, then the actual, for that one, we're, we're braising it with pork cheeks, mm. cocoa. Cocoa? Little, yeah. Nibs uh, or powder? Powder. Powder. Unsweetened uh, cocoa powder. Correct. There's a little bit of uh, our our special tomato sauce. Yeah, it's a secret. What, have to kill you. Well, yeah, so you, you, know, <laughs> you, you sear off. You know, like the basic technique. You take you take the pork cheeks and you sear them till they're golden and, and and they're looking delicious. And then we'll add uh, the aromatic component. In the Italian kitchen, we refer to it as sofrito. Right. And, and uh, the way we do it is we take you know equal proportions of you know garlic, onion, carrot, um, celery, and finely, finely mince them and and cook them down. Um, to different levels, almost like a roux, um, to really give it depth of flavor and sort of a background. It's you know, very dry at the at the final stage, yes. Correct, but yep. it has a ton of flavor. Right. And then we rehydrate it with a you know a little bit of white wine to bring up the acidity, mm. and then we add a, a little bit of tomato sauce, and then you have this give and take effect from the from the pork cheeks to the sauce that's developing the sugo. What sugo? Sugo is, you know, basically referring to any kind of sauce in the Italian kitchen that's made where the drippings and, and, and the actual protein is releasing and giving into the sauce, if that makes any sense. Yes, the sugo. So it's all of that protein combined, and as it cooks, it creates the sugo. Correct. Okay. Um, so, you know, you know, with that, you know, we just tossed that in the pasta, mm. some toasted almonds, some, some scallions. It's ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous. Absolutely. Like, I have to catch my breath, and we have to take a quick break. And if you are hungry, then you are definitely in the right place. By the description alone of Vic Casanova's pork cheeks, Italian braised with the whole wheat pasta on the menu now at Kalina in Los Angeles, the Four Seasons Beverly Hills. We're going to talk more about his signature dishes and create an affogato that cannot be beat when we come back. Chef Jamie went along with Lana. We're visiting with Chef Victor Casanova, who takes the simple things seriously as the chef of the Los Angeles hotspot, Kalina, 
putting modern touches on Italian cuisine. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, in your radio. Chef, of your signature dishes, fish is, I know, one of your most favorite things to cook. And we touched on a salmon dish. Um, but tell us, what is the best preparation of fish right now as we embark on spring that we can make at home? Well, I think most good preparations should be pretty pretty simple and straightforward. That's the good news. <laughs> um, my, my favorite, you know, you can take any type of fish. You know, I, we love bronzino in the kitchen. We also, um, when, you know, Pacific halibut are swimming well, we, we like that as well. Mm-hmm. If we talk about, like, something like a bronzino, and it can be if you're related to, like, I always like celebrating our local seafood, the stuff that's, like, readily available and close. Makes me think of stuff like how about even Pachali Sol? Oh, you're after Lana's heart. Mm-hmm. Delicious, very very yeah. simple. Mm. There's a technique that we really like to do. We'll take the the actual fish and and we'll we'll fillet it off and keep the skin on. Take all the bones out, clean it up, make sure it's nice and neat, and then sandwich it back together. You put anything inside the sandwich? Nothing. Just just basically salt and extra virgin olive oil. Okay, and then fillet to fillet, like flesh to flesh. Flesh to flesh. Okay. And then we cook it in the pan. You know, we'll get a pan, and we'll get it to the point where it's smoking hot. Right. And we'll, you know, kick down the heat a little bit. Then put the fish in together like that, skin side down. The flesh is meeting each other, right? And it's, and it's keeping a, a moist sort of pocket in the interior. Oh, too cool. And then, and then we'll simply, like, literally just keep it on, on the heat long enough till I start to see the, ed- the edges come up, and I know that it's going to separate, and there's been, like, a... Good contact has been made. And I'll drop it in the oven at like 375 degrees for, you know, roughly seven minutes. Um, take it out, flip it over, put it back in for another minute, and that's it. And what comes out is amazing, delicious, crispy on the exterior, moist and juicy on the interior. And I really, honest to God, um, staying true to the Italian tradition and culture and, and, and the sensibility, you know, pull out a beautiful Maya lemon. Mm-hmm. Squeeze it on top mm-hmm. and enjoy. Drizzle olive oil, sprinkle of salt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's perfect. It's, you don't need much more. You know, no. it, it, it's about the quality and the freshness of the fish mm-hmm. and the simplicity of Beautiful. the technique. It is about the technique, and I have not prepared uh, fish flesh to flesh before like that without stuffing it or trying to create an infusion or laying down thin slices of lemon or shavings of fennel. And I think the beauty of it is in its simplicity. And it takes me back to my French roots and having been trained classically French, that if you can master the technique and create a dish that comes alive with flavor with just three ingredients, then you can make anything. You think about somehow when, when you know, I've gone to friends, family, sometimes I'm even guilty of it when we're having people over and we're putting together a special dinner where we'll do too many things. Mm. And we're over overwhelmed and burdened with all the prep and the labor. And uh, the reality is, is, you know, if I was just going to, you know, cook a chicken, roast the chicken perfect, spend all my time making sure that the, the chicken's perfect, I'll probably have a lot more time. The chicken will come out a lot better. Right. And the people enjoying the meal will really enjoy it and be more satisfied. Mm-hmm. Less is more all the time. I, I think focusing on, on the simple things and, and trying to take those those little things and give them the respect that they deserve. I think that's a terrific chef's perspective. We've heard you say it before. Vic Casanova says that less is more. But dessert is always necessary, chef. So with that <laughs> said, <laughs> dessert is key. We had an affogato after you first opened Kalina that Lana and I have yet to forget. 
and we won't anytime soon. We're big on affogato here on this show. And if you have a good, strong, rich shot of espresso and good quality ice cream of any variety or flavor, you can make a dessert in a glass. And then you can always spike it with the best liqueurs or your favorite topping. But it's the cotton candy that puts yours over the top. So if you would, describe the makings of a Colina Affogato. Yeah, with ours, we wanted to, uh, you know, impart to as classic as possible. So we started off with the base of it. It had to be really good gelato, right? So we're making a really creamy, uh, light, amazing, amazing vanilla gelato, vanilla bean gelato. Mm. Um, that goes on the base, and then we, we get pretty ridiculous, awesome coffee, the espresso. <laughs> Um, a double shot goes in. Uh, we pour that on top. Um, but before we pour the espresso on top, we we make you know cotton candy to order, and we'll make uh, we'll spin it in the back, put a little bit on top of the cup, basically right on top of the the gelato, and then when we go to the table, we'll take the espresso and pour it. And what happens? It's cool is that the the, the cotton candy dissolves into the actual dessert. Right, and you get a little uh, tinge of sweetness in certain bites, like coyingly sweet, intentionally, yes, just to yeah. to spike the flavor. Yeah. So great. Oh, it's it really is. It's so great. It is. It's totally fun. All right, we have a couple of minutes left here, Chef. So give us your perspective. I have a few questions so we can better get to know inside your brain. Um, what are your favorite culinary weapons in the kitchen? My heart. Oh, you cook with love. I love that. Uh, not a microplane, not a paring knife. Going yeah, I mean, with your gut. You know, there's some things that I use and I fall back on that are really important. If I if I had to make a makeshift kitchen, it was the, the the basic necessities. That's what you're asking me, right? Yes, please. For me, that you know, I, I love a Vita Prep. A Vita Prep is a, a very important tool to me. A microplane is a very important tool to me. Um, a spoon, a simple spoon, hmm. um, is a very important tool to me. Uh, a decent chef's knife, and I can probably make anything happen with those things. Yeah, we we bet on the same, that you definitely can. Last question, one condiment in your refrigerator at home right now that you couldn't be without. One condiment in my refrigerator that I could not be without. Right now, <laughs> it's, this, uh, it's this thing, it's called bomba. Yes. And it's um, basically uh, uh, chopped up Calabrian chilies. And spell it, please. Bomba, B-O-M-B-A. And where do we find it? You can find it at uh, most specialty markets, you know, like a Whole Foods, stores okay. like that will have it, and any any kind of specialty Italian store, right. and you can find it readily available online. What, do you eat it out of the tube? No, it comes in a, a little bit of a jar, and I, I'll take that and I'll add it to, you know, maybe a sauce, or if I'm making a sandwich, I'll put a little bit on the bread, mm. um, just about anything. I like a little pick-me-up, and uh, it does a job. Well, it's keeping you on your toes, and we're loving that. We do love your food as well, and we thank you for stopping by and sharing your chef's perspective and always giving us great ideas that inspire us to get back into the kitchen. We hope to see you at the restaurant soon. In fact, we can't wait. My and pleasure. Thank you, and it was our pleasure. Vic Casanova at the helm of Kalina at the Four Seasons Los Angeles Beverly Hills. He's taken the hotel out of hotel. This is a blend of modern and traditional, authentic Italian flavors that truly come alive. Do not miss the dining experience. 
We thank you, Vic, very much for, again, delicious conversation. For those that have weighed in at live at chefjamie.com, you can always email us or go through the website at chefjamie.com. We received some phone calls as well. There are a lot of great cooks out there, Lana, cooking with cast iron. And if you've weighed in about maintaining yours, we recently had um, Sharon Stathers on the phone live from London to talk about international oils and all the infused and fabulously flavor-enhanced oils available on the market well we received a terrific note from a serious food lover who is using flaxseed oil to create that cast iron beauty and we've done a little bit of research and can tell you that flaxseed oil is said to give your cast iron cookware the ultimate non-stick rust protective seasoning and a gorgeous shine and the food lovers that are weighing in online say that it does give you additional protection so if you're looking for a new or better way to season your cast iron this method might be worth a try lana what i'd love to know is if the the virtues the nutrients of the flaxseed oil actually season the pan seep in and give you an additional benefit Oh, I would love that. Interesting we, to know. We all if you that. season your cast iron skillet in the next week with flaxseed oil, please let us know. You can find me on Facebook or Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen, or you can email us live at chefjamie.com. And do tune in next Sunday for more delicious conversation and fabulous food. We want to mention to you that there's a special going on at Fleming's Prime Steakhouse and Wine Bar that you won't want to miss. Fleming's is pleased to celebrate spring break with this incredible combination of filet mignon and a sweet North Atlantic lobster tail plus a starter course and a side all for $34.95 for a limited time. We thought it was a great value and something we had to share now through April 7th. It's called the spring break celebration at all Fleming's prime steakhouse and wine bar restaurants. And you can make a reservation at Fleming'sSteakhouse.com. Now that's a deal. And now in its 15th year, we are proud to support the chalk follies and our dear friend, Gloria Zigner. And we hope that you will purchase your tickets for Chalk Follies, Christina and the Crystal Ball this year, their 15th anniversary production, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, March 29th, 30th, and 31st. You can buy your tickets at chalkfollies.org, C-H-O-C-F-O-L-L-I-E-S.org. Lana and I will be there to support the cause. And we'll be here next Sunday. Your culinary playground will include uh, a beautiful, brilliant discussion on bacon, because what's better than bacon with John Cook? You'll also hear from Rick Rogers, who's recently released his Mad Mad 60s cookbook. Great way to go along with... um, Mad Men, the show that everybody loves, and bringing back the great food of the 60s and that old-fashioned approach. It's a fabulous cookbook. You'll love it. Sophie Gayo is sharing her 2012 restaurant issue from Gayo.com. so don't miss the best restaurants across the country. And we'll travel around the world, too, and find some fabulous tastes. And Judy Kansagor is celebrating Passover with us. We're planning your menu with everything matzah, so please do tune in next Sunday when the Delicious conversation begins at 8 a.m. right here on KFWB News Talk 980. Lana, I think with this cool weather today here in Southern California or no matter where you are, today would be a very good day to start spring cleaning your kitchen. And now is the time to look into your pantry 
and start going through all that random food stuff and a chance for creativity to cook from what you have in your home already. I always think about especially updating my spices. Yes, I'm so glad you do. So throw away that dried basil and parsley and start fresh. We're posting a new spring kitchen pantry list at chefjamie.com. Staples so that you can whip up a delicious meal at a moment's notice any time. Check it out, chefjamie.com. And until next Sunday, we thank you for listening. Please check out that Bristol Farm special as well, $7.99 on wild-caught salmon fillets now through Tuesday. Thank you to Melissa's Produce for making this show happen, Pacific Sales, and Paul Martin's American Grill. Perfect for dinner tonight to get over that St. Patty's Day party hangover. You just might need a great big meal and something to comfort the soul. You can find us again on the web, serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. And until next Sunday, I'm Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana signing off. We hope you continue to eat well. The preceding program has been brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment.